0: My name is Mark Vina, and welcome to the Smart Tech Check podcast, where we cover all tech topics that are smart home, home automation, security, and console gaming related. Uh, Today is Thursday, April 1st, 2021, the start of the baseball season. I'm certainly excited. Just uh, checked with um, a few people, and the Yankees are tied uh, 2-2 in the – is it the eighth or ninth inning, guys? Ninth inning. inning. Thank you. See, I've got my my own uh, sports – uh, information team on the side here <laughs> plugging scores in i should actually switch the the, uh, the feed to baseball scores at the bottom like espn but without any further ado let me bring up my uh, three um, amigos here that is john quain Stuart wolpin rob Peguerro, who have been frequent uh, visitors to the uh, podcast we like to talk about all kinds of crazy tech topics um, even some tech topics that are not so crazy uh john rob and Stuart, how are you i good. good.
1: Apparently, I'm sunburned.
0: <laughs> Stuart, you have a, an impressive library. I have to just say that. I mean, that's
1: a small fraction. My right. wife loves it.
2: Well, I'm very, very impressed. Are there really, any uh, baseball bobbleheads in that on those shelves?
1: No, the baseball. There is one baseball bobblehead. Most of them are in my office behind, in, um, in my office. They're not on site. This is the movie and music collection.
0: Very impressive, Rob. Very impressive, uh, Stuart. Thank you. Very, very, and I'm looking at Rob's background. Is, is this kind of your Dr. love? I'm taking over the world <laughs> backdrop?
2: This is the war room. You can't fight in here. <laughs>
0: <Right>. <laughs> One of the great lines of movie uh, history. Up a little bit. <laughs> One of the great lines of movie history. And, uh, John, you're calling in from your multi-million dollar studio, as I can see. Um, great. <laughs> <Right. laughs> K- 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 right. is your is your off uh, is the image it's still kind of backward is that the is it inverted is that
3: Yeah we're not in the movie we're in the mirror so when I move left it goes right but uh but the but those are real objects behind me this is not a green screen this is when you pedal you know, the bike does it go in reverse like- <laughs> I'm testing like five different bikes right now. I've got uh, an EV, uh, the Mustang to pick up tomorrow. I've got TVs behind me. It's a lot of technology. (laughs) So,
0: Well, hey, a lot of crazy things happened last week. I want to do what I normally do, and I want to just go through a whole line of topics. We'll probably have a few laughs on some of them. Um, I know we will have a few laughs on some of them. Uh, Let me do this, and let me bring up our little screen here to make it very easy for all of you folks to kind of um, follow through here um, you want to do that uh, you brought, you, brought, you brought this topic up John the, the and actually yeah. you know my, by the way I have not asked my brother who works for Amazon right w- how he's going to vote on this whole Amazon union issue was that the vote happening today
3: it already you know? happened but there's Did a very happened? lengthy process of counting the votes which they do by hand which they do going over each name. But the, with the added wrinkle that they're going to do it over video conferencing like this, uh, so it's going to take several days. It's not over yet.
0: And, uh, it, you know, it's, it's amazing. Tell me that there's it's not going to be like uh, lost chads and um, uh, it's going to take three weeks for them to get to a vote. I would I would have to think as automated as Amazon is, they should get to a, a, a ca- account what? on that. You can. Could-
3: it's really about the eligibility of the, the the voters, so the employees. That's what the key issue is. And either side can whine and say we don't think this person should be eligible to vote, and they can contest each voter. And they recount after they count a hundred votes. They go back and then they look at them again. I don't really understand why. Mm. And then there's a labor relations board that all this you know sort of appeals to. So. Um, I'm, I'm guessing maybe early next week. We'll know for people who don't know it's happening at one facility in Alabama, that's where they're voting to unionize. Amazon has thwarted it in the past, uh, but it looks like there's a good potential that this may actually happen. And the floodgates will open is the idea in that they'll start unionizing all over the place.
0: Uh, have, they, have there been any polls? Do they have, they conducted any type of polls to get to a, a sense of how they feel down there, how the vote may go?
3: I mean, just anecdotally, it sounds like the people there want to unionize. That's what it seems like they the, the dominant, uh, you know, prevailing wisdom is. It's a little difficult to tell. I mean, there have been some interesting numbers. I was just talking to some antitrust attorneys. Uh, I can't say who, but um, earlier today. And the numbers that are bandied about are that Amazon will control in one way, shape, or form, or the, another, fifty percent of the retail business in the United States by the end of this year. I mean, that's like we were trying to figure out how that actually worked, but you know, it 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 seems like maybe not such a crazy number. So yeah, there's got to be some concern about the size of the company and how their employees are treated, etc. So it's gonna it's a big issue. John, is
1: that fifty percent of all retail or fifty percent of online retail?
3: All
0: retail wow that's a big that's big there isn't a heck of a
1: i thought of, i had read it was 50 percent of online retail it,
3: it may be but even at that yeah. i mean i was just here at a target in new york city not a lot of people going to the target in new york city so i'm just you know <laughs> come to mind yeah i mean effectively uh well this was in harlem I mean, uh, so, yeah, effectively, that's a huge chunk. And the, and the Chinese company thing is this very interesting thing that's become more apparent during the pandemic. And that is that, um, oh, we're going to put tariffs on Chinese companies and we're going to prevent them from doing it. And there's going to be a trade war. And Why did that never happen? Well, kind of Amazon. So what those companies did in China was they increased their prices. Um, so they just put it on us. But they also do these things where they trademark, you know, 100 different product names and then they release the product on Amazon under all these different product names. And then they, you know, and they really pay attention to the ratings that consumers give them. So if they see a product's going bad, they pretty much dump it right away and shift production to something else in the factory in China. And it's a fascinating business that's happened, but it's covered everything from you know, trainers and treadmills to running shoes. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. really an astounding business and, and it's just dominating. We, you don't even realize that. I know I've bought, you know, purchased bike accessories and things like that, that I'm sure are from, you know, some China company in the middle of nowhere, Uh, but very interesting business model.
0: How do you think Amazon's approaching that from a business um perspective? a business strategy standpoint, it's obviously something uh, that they're that they're doing in a very uh, transparent manner. There's, the, but do you think Amazon? What, what do you think their the, the 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 end, the, um, the the end all plan is with, with this? I mean, do you think this is a, just given the atmosphere around Chinese companies and it's part of the business model? Do you see any deviation along those lines? Uh, I don't.
3: I mean, all this is like automated. Like Much of Google's business is automated. There's no human being to talk to. So there's no strategy behind it. It's just if you plug in the right things, and you pay your bills, and there aren't many complaints, it's going to work no matter where you are. Um, And so I I think uh, it really doesn't, there isn't a strategy behind it right now. And, uh, you know, Amazon is a company right at the moment when they're questioned, they're the ones that tend not to show up for those Senate hearings. I don't know if you've noticed that recently. Facebook is going, Dorsey's going, you know, from Twitter, but nobody from Amazon. So it's it's uh it's like their whole war they had. And I don't want to jump to the next topic, but <laughs> which is a
2: right? Twitter war.
0: Mm-hmm. Rob, any thoughts on your band?
2: So yeah, the whole Amazon is weird cuz when it works Amazon's it's amazing. Weird, yeah, but then on the other amazing. hand <laughs> there, there's there's such a problem with counterfeit goods like I don't want to buy a can 95 mask off Amazon because right. I just read too many things about glitches with that like do I want to get an extension cord when I could just buy it from Home Depot or do I want to get uh you know, whatever. And, and basically, I'm, I'm trying to spread my business around a little bit because I feel that as someone within walking distance to a Whole Foods, i am already got enough of my customer's spend at this one giant company.
0: Right. Well, you brought up an interesting observation about counterfeit goods and, and even more so than counterfeit goods is defective goods. I mean, the uh, there's been... Uh, and I know Apple has been up in arms over this, but you know, you look at things like uh, Lightning cables and 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 uh, USB chargers. There's a lot of stuff that comes out of these companies that look identical to the real McCoy. You know, from a from a Apple accessory standpoint, yet they're not designed to the specifications um, that they need to be. They, they fray even faster than Apple's they, Lightning they, cables do. They, they believe it or not, they do. <laughs> how is that possible? Yeah. But you can't die from a frayed lightning cable. You can't die from a fire that starts in your house because the, the AC yes. adapter is, is, is substandard. So that's a big issue. It's a big issue. Stuart, any, any thoughts?
1: I mean, th- this is all a part and parcel of capitalism. You know, a company starts off and they get big. And at what point do they get too big that they have to be reined in either by the people who work for them or by the federal government or by themselves and as we know in capitalism that companies very rarely uh, rein themselves in so our history is replete with the government stepping in when something gets too big um i know that i just heard this morning that amazon is going to start opening like discount stores Um, brick-and-mortar discount stores to try to offload a lot of slow or low-selling goods that don't seem to be moving online or just cost too much to ship versus how much profit they're going to make, etc., etc., etc. Whether or not these are going to be the Amazon Go kind of stores or whether or not they're just going to be traditional, you know, 99-cent stores, I don't think anybody knows at this point. I mean, there are always pros and cons with businesses that sometimes get too big in this hopefully in this post-COVID era any retailer is going to be welcomed by landlords given what's been going on in the the commercial retail space um but are they going to be welcomed by other retailers so i mean there's always these back and forths and the basic underlying question is always when is big too big and i think that's what we're facing right now with amazon
3: right Right. Well, there was, there was also that one, two, three, four, I challenge you to a Twitter war, which was really not, you know, was kind of in the Elon Musk smoking a joint on the air kind of vein. What Amazon <laughs> is thinking about, you know, why Amazon did that, I have no idea. But for people who don't know, they they started to battle with uh, Bernie Sanders and uh, Elizabeth Warren and, and said, we're more progressive than Bernie Sanders, crazy and stuff like that. So, they should probably take some lessons from twitter probably a little bit more better on pr and stuff uh it was not a good good week for amazon so we'll see what next week brings
0: yeah i'm going to be curious to see how this this union vote turns out because obviously that has big implications even though like you said uh, john it's happening you know in just one um one state um god knows uh Absolut has such a humongous presence just in about every state in the country. I think they're in, uh, they're 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 in every state, in terms of a distribution. There's a distribution center, at least one distribution center in every state in the, in the uh, country. They obviously have an enormous footprint. So I am sure they are looking at it with earnest to see exactly what happens here. Um, here's a topic, Rob, that I know is close to your heart. This is your topic, <laughs> but it's also a topic that's close to my heart. Uh, from the TV availability of MLB games, especially for those lowly, I would say lowly, lonely uh, local fans who you know, obviously <laughs> want to watch the game. They want to watch their local team, and they may not be able to watch it because the, it, it's uh, blacked out. I assume that's what you're talking about.
2: Not quite. It's can you get the regional sports network, the RSN, that carries your team's games? Mm -hmm. Uh, because certainly MLB has always had, not always, but for years has had MLB.tv for out-of-town fans. So you, Mark, you can watch the Yanks from the Bay Area, no problem.
0: Which Uh, I do. But if you want to
2: watch the Yanks from the tri-state area, MLB has said, well, go pay for cable or satellite. Last year, for the first time, at least one streaming service carried the RSN of all the, the MLB franchises. Between now and then, we've had a huge step back because YouTube TV and Hulu, have both fled the RSN market running away from it as if it were a drop third strike because they cost too much money. And so mm-hmm. now you have 22 teams by my count that are only available on one streaming service, AT&T TV at 85 bucks a month. Uh, I, I should note that your Yanks are one of them. My nationals are another one of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Stewart's Mets are still available on fours. So it looks like in that respect, it's better to be a Mets <laughs> fan than Yankees fan. Uh, and it's crazy because this can't go on. People are not going to jump back into the arms of big cable or satellite TV to get their local team. They, they may use a proxy server or VPN to watch local games via MLB.TV. They may just right, right. find something else to watch. But none of the teams seem to want to go direct to the customer the way the Toronto Blue Jays have for a while. And the other problem is a couple of analysts noted to me was... The first thing that does that is going to tell all the streaming distributors, yeah, you can definitely drop this because they've gone DTC direct to customer. But that's where we're going to wind up. So at some point, one of these RSNs has to sort of say, well, this is going to be a, this will be our rebuilding year in terms of you know how our games get to fans, because the system we have now is not working.
0: But you, you, you know what's, you know what's uh, funny about this is that Stuart, you can speak to this. Is that during the the fifties uh, and sixties, when when uh, uh, you had just of course local um, uh, air based television, the Yankees, for example, what killed the Yankees during the sixties, even when they had good teams in the early sixties, every game was broadcast on WPIX, and that was one of the reasons they cited as channel eleven. Uh, 10-11, eleven—that people they wouldn't want to go to the game. Why do I want to drive into the Bronx and watch the game when I can watch it for free? And uh, so that—that's been a pro- That was a problem for years. And and you know, when I get back to the East Coast, I always notice that the um, WPIX, which is still around, I think they broadcast what ten games a year now. I think it's not a big number because most of the games are the YES Network, and uh, or or you know, if you're out of, if you're um, outside the regional area like I am because I'm based in California, it's not a problem because I have I pay. And I don't pay eighty nine dollars a month. I think the MLB package is what's seventy dollars for the season. It's free if phone. you're a team oh, subscriber. So well, now, there you go. Thank you for that advertisement. That's good. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Like in all all things in sports, things have gotten way more complicated in terms of business models, who's making the money from the streaming, who's making money from the RSNs, cannibalization. But this goes back to the early days of radio, this fear of broadcasting versus live attendance. Right. Um, From the early days of radios, even in the 1920s, you had this push and pull all the way through, through TV, uh, through cable television, through the establishment of the what what really, I don't know disturbs me isn't the right word, but what surprises me here is that baseball is continually trying to um, uh, attract yo- a younger audience. Baseball's prime audience right now is folks like us, El Tecacos. um <laughs> And in not allowing younger fans to stream, which is their chosen method of media consumption, I think is cutting off their nose to spike their faces. Figure out the damned business model between MLB TV and the regional sports network. I'm sure that some deal can be struck between, say, SNY and MLB TV that would allow 20-somethings to stream Yankee games. It doesn't make any sense to me why they would be almost purposely cutting out the one demographic that baseball has been trying to appeal to for the last decade.
0: Mm -hmm. John?
3: No, I, I, am I'm not a huge baseball fan. Um, I, I, I have other sports that I like, but I empathize with the cost. You know, I'm trying to watch a formula one race on the weekend and I don't have a service in the country, but I have it in the city, but it doesn't get it in the country. I mean, it just, it's gotten crazy and it, it's another fee on top of what you're already paying for these streaming services to Stewart's point. If I've got Hulu and Disney Plus and Netflix and Amazon Prime Video, I mean, it just, it's already out of hand. So adding another one on, somebody asked me the other day, well, why don't you just pay the, you know, hundred dollar subscription? I'm like, I'm not, cause I've got all these other subscriptions already. So yeah, they, they need to figure that out. It should be a lot easier. And Stewart's absolutely right. Our generation is not that generation, but everybody yeah. watches stuff on streaming. It's got to be easy. If they don't make it easy, they're going to lose that audience. Yeah. The one
1: thing that they've done to attract to to, to attract um, live fans with this, I'm a season ticket holder at City Field. I get MLB TV, MLB TV for nothing. Mm-hmm. It's part of my subscription, my season ticket package. Now, I'm still blacked out from local streams, but at least I don't have to pay extra for it. And the reason is I bought season tickets. So it's a come on to get you to buy season tickets.
0: Well, and presumably, Stuart, that MLB package, you use it to watch a winning team, not the Mets right <laughs> uh, that would that, that would be my here we um, go see this is where this is where Stuart leaves the podcast Slowly. <laughs> <laughs> he just, just <laughs> I, I do want to ask you one question that's not on the list here um that just happened yesterday and that's the end it's different it's obviously um not a baseball question but it's a football question the nfl added a 17th game yesterday <laughs> which you know what frustrates me about that, just so I can go get on my soapbox, is I really think the NFL has had the perfect regular season and playoff season without going over the top and adding every team It's a wild card team, and you know the entire league makes the playoffs like, like the NBA, and it's, right. it's, it's really purely about money. It's really to add they're adding another um, wild card team, but. You guys have a bad taste in your mouth about that or do you just think, well, this is, you know, this is naked capitalism and you've got a bunch of owners who want to make more money. Um,
1: I've had a bad taste in my mouth since they split the majors into three divisions in each league.
0: Yeah.
2: I'm still dealing with this DH in the National League thing. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> Go back to 1973. <laughs> and by the Everybody way, Ron, and I believe Ron Bloomberg was the first DH. That is I, correct. I, I, see, I, I pull that one right out of left field, so to speak. <laughs>
1: no, out of
0: DH. Uh, exactly. Yes. Okay. Uh, let us talk about NFTs. Uh, Stuart, this is your we topic. We have to. <laughs> uh, we have to, unfortunately. Because it, yeah, it's it's, actually, it's a topic that's in the news. It's dominating the, a lot of the right. tech. Press.
1: I It's, I I I think I understand the topic. I don't understand <laughs> the value attached to it. I saw yesterday that there was an NFT that was being that was done by um the um how would he by John Cleese, the ex Monty Python right. guy, who apparently made a stick sketch of the Brooklyn Bridge which they are now auctioning off with a minimum bid of like $40,000. And I haven't looked at it lately, but I, I'm i reading the story about it, and they do not show a picture of what the EFT is. So I go to the auction site. It is literally a stick figure that looks as if it was drawn by an eight-year-old. <laughs> and and that somebody would pay, um, that I, I, I'm, I'm completely flummoxed by this entire phenomena. And I'm sure I- Yeah, but you know, that, that is the history topic, of- But I don't know what I'm missing. Go ahead, Rob. Please.
2: Using art to make a statement, Mar- Marcel Duchamp taking a urinal, and that's one of his ready-mades, and the fact that it's not a new thing. I, I don't know if I got it then or if I get it now, but <laughs> people will pay for scarcity, even if it's fake scarcity.
1: And But I understand paying for scarcity, but there it's not a matter of being scarce. It's a matter of just being useless. I understand the scarcity supply and demand side of capitalism, but wouldn't the scarcity and the value of the scarcity be based upon the necessity of the item to begin with?
2: I think I figured out how we solve this baseball game <laughs> really problem. The team RSN sells an NFT <laughs> of each game to the super fans, and that pays for it for everybody else. Everyone wins. But I actually think you know
3: the NFTs are just the same as the Mona Lisa. I think that the the uh, it's just the work of art in the age of a mechanical reproduction. I mean, it's just it's just a, in a digital form. I mean, um, and you could put it on, you know, your micro led wall and display it that way. So it's a work of art, just as it would be any other way. Sure. There are odd things the New York times where I write for the New York times, uh, you know, uh, did a column. And then that column was an NFT that they sold, um, you know, for charity, but that's more of a gag, right? That's not really to the point of what this is. So just the same way that somebody is going to spend, you know, twenty million dollars for Mark Rothko, it follows that given that the the next thing would be this format, you know, whether people will like it ten years from now, I don't know. It doesn't have the same aesthetic appeal to me, but but I'm somebody goes to the art museum once a week, so you know, I'm not like a regular person, maybe, in terms of looking at that. But I just it's a kind of.
1: Think- I just don't see the art in any of it. That's the problem. I mean the Mona Lisa took took him months, weeks, months, whatever. Even even the this most strident artist spends a great deal of time and effort on these. Pete Alonso, the first baseball player, put up an NFT that was fan- essentially a fancy baseball card. We probably took an, a graphic designer 10 minutes to throw together. I you know, I understand it's art. I just don't understand. there. I think there is a, a, a stark difference between a Mark Rothko and a stick figure drawing by John Cleese, who he tossed off in, in five right. minutes. And I, 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 haven't seen an NFT that is art.
3: Well, the ones that were that drew the attention that were sold actually were like the five thousand pictures taken over the course of so many years. Yes, I saw that. Art. That
1: was really yeah. impressive. Right. But so I, the John I mean, stuff art.
3: is just fun, you know?
1: no, no. I, I wish I, I, I it, To me, it's it's just old, old format in in or old, old media in new format. Mm. I don't think it's taken on something that is of its own yet, the way that all old, old medias are adapted and changed by the the format in which they appear in. For instance, the World Wide Web was originally somebody took, you know, like a newspaper would just put their text online, and that was it, and now it has evolved into a web-based newspaper which is different than the print and all old media goes through that evolutionary process of you first slap on what was old and just keep it like for instance television was simply filmed radio when it first started until the media evolves its own forms and I guess maybe we're at this point where NFTs right now is still slapping old media on a new format, and is yet to take on something that is unique to that format to differentiate it from where that media was before. Right. Uh, what well, do you
3: think there's, about there's, film. You said
0: about that? Yeah. yeah.
3: Right, like film. But you know, I, I picture in the actually in the future that NFTs mm-hmm. they could be anything. So maybe a virtual reality you know, artwork that somebody's created that you can kind of live in and, and experience in a different way, something like that in the future. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, film is an art form now, but it's not like painting or sculpture. You know, it's right. its own.
0: I'd like to see... Uh Ask, actually, ask Rob a question. Have you uh, bought any NFTs lately?
2: Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't think I can afford them. Uh, no, honestly. I, um,
1: you can come uh, clean. I'm good you just buying clean.
2: old-fashioned uh, you know, digital goods, software, apps, songs that are <laughs> not non-fungible tokens. I don't need that sense of exclusivity.
1: You're still
2: buying CDs, right? Uh, I am. <laughs> or- well, uh, actually, it's been a while.
0: <laughs> or, in the ca- or in the case of joe biden it would be phonographs uh hold yeah. on one second here. my brother
2: is a big vinyl collector don't knock it yeah i have a bunch of uh, vinyl here.
0: He- well here's a topic i want to talk about because i think this is interesting if you look at the rumor mill of the week there seems to be right. broad consensus that apple is going to come out with a ruggedized um apple watch which is to me really intriguing you know uh because the, the category they haven't gotten into yet is ruggedized laptops, which is a market. I mean, you know, Panasonic has been in that market for um, uh, quite a few years. In fact, that's probably the only reason why you would buy a Panasonic laptop. They have uh, ruggedized models.
1: And ruggedized but, smartphones.
0: And, and smartphones as well. I mean, it's kind of a, a category that they have a very strong presence in. But what are your thoughts on that? Do you really think there is a significant market for um, for ruggedized watches? I mean, um, I mean that, that kind of says that, they're going to be there. There are applications and usage models that are watch-specific for different uh, for different um, occupations, which there there are. There are. It's not presumably there are markets for that. But uh, what are your thoughts? And let me start with John.
3: Yeah, uh, definitely. For me, absolutely. Look, I'm wearing like the Garmin top of the line watch. I just I'm a guy. I'm gonna run outside. I'm. I was bicycling earlier today. I mean, just the Apple Watch is like, man, I can't wear that. You know, I can't see, I can't have people seeing me wearing that thing. It's just not. So I definitely <laughs> think there's a market there. Absolutely. I think it's a huge market, you know, for any, uh, for that. Uh, you know, I don't. So I think uh, it's just recognition. Now, if they get into that market, what does that say about these poor other smartwatch people who, you know, that's been their niche the whole time? What happens to them?
0: Not, um, not much. Not that, much, that, unfortunately.
2: Yeah rob yeah same i mean it's it's a category of the market that's been there for a while apple's been pitching the apple watch as something you use to work out you know attracts your 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 steps yeah. your altitude all these other things why not, i mean <laughs> it definitely totally makes more sense than the ten thousand dollar apple watch edition mm-hmm. right well
0: right. yeah. uh, you can only imagine when apple's going to charge for a ruggedized watch because that is a very niche specific um uh, category type of watch so th- th- that's not going to be a discount to a to a to a, to a current apple watch there'll, there'll be some type of premium associated with it Stuart, are you going to go run out and buy one am i, I will
1: you? not be going out i am unlike john i am not a, i'm an indoor cat the only, edifice, <laughs> the only edifice i scale are the stairs outside of my apartment building um, okay. um but uh, apple is, has usually left the niche in a part of their business to their app makers and to their accessory makers. Um, right. OtterBox does a huge business in ruggedized cases. Yes, cases, and, Correct. They, and I believe they and a lot of other people already make ruggedized cases for the watch. So to me, it would be very surprising if Apple decided to do its own ruggedized uh, version of the watch. Uh, unless they did something over and above simply putting, you know, a militarized case casing around its its innards, um, like you mentioned, there may be some really niche. But Apple has really never done niche. They have always left that. Then the Apple ecosystem is built on. Here's a vanilla product. You app developers and you accessory makers turn it into something that somebody in a particular vertical would be able to use. So I'm not sure I understand why they would do this or even if they will do this.
0: Well, again, it's only a rumor at this point, you know, uh, what's interesting. It it was not just a rumor from a couple of folks. I mean, it was a fairly pervasive story that's a bunch of stories that spread on wildfire. And, and, And to your point, Stuart, um, what what is the definition of ruggedized i mean i if if it's simply a it's got a, a lot thicker outer casing but the innards the operating system the applications are essentially the same i don't see what that i mean there are a number of manufacturers that make accessories mm-hmm. that you could essentially achieve the same thing so i have to believe it's more substantial than that but we'll see you know um uh, last question I want to get to, and this is—I I, I think this is so entertaining—and I'm—I I cannot wait to hear the feedback from, from you guys on this. Is that you know Intel launched this new campaign, this new PC versus Mac processor campaign. I, I hear chuckling all the way in the background, you know, and you know, and it's funny. Intel, you know, Intel has had a tough role over the last uh, couple of years. They've got, recently gotten a new CEO, um, Pat Gelsinger, who is, by the way, I think a a top-flight guy. I really think if anybody can turn that place around, um, Pat can. But it's interesting that Intel is not in. It's it's not like the company is falling apart. I mean, you you talk to certain people and you get the impression. Ever since you know Apple announced Apple Silicon, oh, this is going to be the death knell of um, yeah. of um, of Intel. I I just I don't see that because the 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 X eighty six Intel PC space is still mammoth and compared to the. Um, uh, the uh, the Mac OS and just the conventional Mac uh, level uh, laptops, but I almost think that Intel invites you know um, uh, this kind of criticism when they run campaigns like this because you know Intel outside of the famous Intel Chime and the the uh, the, the Blue Man Group that they stuff they did years ago, I mean Intel is really not known for its you know its, its advertising you know and it's, uh, something that really makes the company more human and more. You know heartwarming so I got I, I want to start with Rob because Rob you have to have an opinion on this I'm sure
2: yeah I'm not sure where Intel's going with that because you really can't make that choice unless you're buying a Mac in which case you should get Apple Silicon it's new the battery life is so much better the Intel processors that Apple still uses are really really old mm-hmm. uh, you know there are really good competitive advantages I'm right now I'm using a PC where the laptop is folded up in tent mode so I can look at the screen right in front of me right. uh, which you can't do on a Mac uh, that's great. And, and also Intel put that money into improving the battery life and the performance of your processors because that they've lost a step. That's what they got to fix. They don't need an ad campaign for that. Right.
1: John?
3: Yeah. I, 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 same way. I mean, every few years, people look at Intel and go, it's square. It's really boring. And, you know, the stock price tanks and they say they're in trouble. And then, but the size of the market share is huge as you point yes. out. And it, it you know, Losing Apple is not a big deal. I mean, it's a big deal in terms of cachet, but in terms of reality, you know, in the bottom line, not a lot to them. It is a weird ad campaign because, again, it's not it's not like they're Microsoft. It's not the Wintel argument against. So it's just it's an odd thing to do. you know, where Intel really lost out was in the mobile space. That's what they're really suffering from, that that mistake of not getting into the mobile space and not getting into cars. You know, that's the big deal right now.
0: No, they, they missed the music category. They missed the phone category. They missed the tablet category. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're trying not to Stakes lose the car category. Right. Well, yeah. but you, see, you know what I think that the challenge with Intel is? As someone who you know worked along Intel when I was at Compaq and Dell and Alienware and just you know right. know a lot of the folks over there, they have such an impressive love of technology. You know, when you look at some of their advertise, you know their their marketing campaigns over the last thirty years, I mean they really built capabilities into the at the processor level. They really thought customers would really appreciate it. And to, and to their credit, there was a lot of uh, there there was a tremendous value proposition in different capabilities that they brought over the years. Um, but the reality is, is that if you look at what Apple's doing, and they may they may think this is an unfair um, observation, but when Intel talks about um, Apple Silicon, they rarely get into the weeds. I mean, they do get into the weeds to a degree, of course, you know. But they, but their their discussions about what are the real life end user benefits. That I can take advantage of if I'm using Apple Silicon. For example, battery life. I mean, their belief is is that by implementing their own processors, uh, Apple devices will be optimized for the for the operating system software that's loaded on those on those devices, and the user is going to get a much better experience. You know, that's a fairly straightforward, simple message to understand. When you talk about multi-threading and 16 cores, and you can do all these elaborate right. things. For the, for a lot of users, that the, the eyes start to roll back, you know. So um, I think that's the thing that I think is the big distinction between Apple and um, and Intel. Um, Stuart, your, your, uh,
1: uh, you uh, uh, to paraphrase Cleavon Little from Blazing Saddles. Can't you see this is the last act of a desperate chipmaker? <laughs> when Intel replies, I don't care if this is the first act of Henry IV. We're moving ahead with this. I don't understand. I don't understand what Intel thinks it's going to get out of this. Apple buyers love the M1 chip, not only for the battery life, but the fact, the promise of, especially for its developers, of of an even ecosystem of, of, of apps working across devices far more smoothly. So if you download a given app for one device, you will be able to download parallel apps. And with the uh, with Apple Keychain and all the connections between the devices, you create a far more seamless ecosystem, which has always been Apple's... Raison forte, their
0: forte. forte. Yep. That's mm-hmm.
1: exactly right. So all the M1 does is extend that so I'm not sure that Justin Long is going to convince any Mac on it He's, he's, he's he not. No. <laughs> well,
0: but see, back to my original comment. Why do they have to use Justin Long, who was in, um, you know, who switched teams, so to speak, from
1: No, up, no, but, detects, uh, They're following the um, the, uh, the Sprint. I the, the Verizon guy. guy. The Sprint-Verizon formula is if again he's going to convince anybody.
2: Where's Sprint now? <laughs>
0: Yeah. No, I, I just think something you know in advertising and marketing sometimes there's something to be said about being too cute when you're when you're too cute with a customer, you know it's um, it's a little bit of an arrogance type of thing and I don't think Intel's trying to be arrogant I just I just think that the campaign there's other things they could there's other vehicles they could have used to articulate the different differences because there are significant differences between right, Intel platforms and uh, and Mac platforms I think John you uh, John or Rob you brought it up. In that, there has been lots of innovation that Microsoft and Intel have brought along over the last couple of years, like the two-in-one notebooks, touchscreens. Um, right. uh, in, I mean, Apple's still way behind the eight ball. Of course, you know their position is they still don't believe touch is part of the uh, the clamshell notebook experience. Of course, that will all completely change when they come out with an operating system that does have support for that capability. But that's right. a different discussion. That's a different discussion. Let's get to in the last few minutes we have here. Let's get to my favorite topic, and that is predictions. Yeah. So, John, I'll, I'll uh, let you uh, lead off with that. Since it's opening day, I'll let you lead off. Oh,
3: gosh. Boy, that's that's tough. I guess my prediction is that uh, they will, in fact, vote to unionize in Alabama, those Amazon employees, and uh, it, it will touch off kind of a chain reaction. But I think uh, next week we're going to learn, yes, they vote yes.
0: Mm. Mr. Rob.
2: Uh, we already sort of got to this. So, yeah, basically what we said before about Amazon's Twitter strategy of tweeting like Elon Musk, it's not going to work. It's not a good idea for Elon <laughs> Musk to tweet like Elon Musk. They need to get some grown ups in charge of their social media.
1: Stuart. Uh, something that John touched on before, the explosion of of streaming, or of subscription streaming streaming so i try saying what well, free, free streaming streaming yeah, so services. streaming services it, it used to be even just last year that consumers would uh, subscribe to two maybe three but now right. with the plethora of streaming services now available what exactly is the tipping point as dylan said something is happening but i don't know what it is There is something in the TV business model with the rising of ATSC 3.0 um, to the explosion of these streaming services, to consumer concerns over cost and access. In other words, what content is available on what service? It's hard enough to figure out what shows are on what channels, much less what streaming things are on what streaming services. So, something I think is going to happen is going to come to a head here. I think you're going to start to see some acquisitions. To shrink the number, and I think you're going to see some business model shifts. Whether it's something a lot more people adopting a Roku kind of situation where they conglomerate all of these services into one operating system, or TV makers starting start to demand. Um, more cohesiveness or impose a cohesiveness on these street? I don't know. Something's going to happen. It's only going to get worse before it gets better. And the consumer will be the one to be suffering until somebody figures out something has to be done.
0: Uh, And my prediction is that uh, Justin Long will be getting, uh, hopefully has another day job because I think the Intel campaign will last another two or three months and they will be turning to another uh, classic campaign because I just don't think it's going to last (laughs) very long just given some of the durations that it's gotten. But guys, listen, thank you very much for uh, joining me uh, for today's podcast. Please follow the More Insights and Strategy podcast audience on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And until next time, have a great week.